Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and I thank you for joining me today. Uh, my guest is Father John Ricardo. It's our continuing conversation about the power of the gospel in our own generation. Mm-hmm. Father John is a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit. He's executive director of Acts 29 and also the developer of the Rescue Project, which focuses on a basic proclamation of the gospel uh, to help renew and enliven uh, not only lay people, but clergy. And Father, good to have you back here. Thanks. Joy to be with you. Always a gift. Our task, our project as human beings is to become like Jesus, hmm. to actually allow the divine life to work within, within us. Hmm. And uh, you wrote a piece recently um, where you go to Matthew 16, where Jesus is asking Peter, who do you hmm. say I am? <laughs> And you had what I thought was a great little twist on this. Um, We should be asking Jesus, who do you say I am? Yeah. Uh, Because questions of identity are front and center uh, in all of our cultural conversation these days. Uh, Whether you're talking about sexual ethics, you're talking about, you know, uh, business, talking about uh, celebrity. Who are we? Who am I? Yeah, you know, my experience personally as a man, but then also my experience uh, as a priest walking with people, I think it's the fundamental issue yeah. for all of us, you know, and, and I often think, I think it's Ignatius, but it, it might be others as well, but they would often say that the Lord in most of us, he doesn't, he doesn't go from point A to point B to point C to point D. He, he finds an area and he just keeps doing this. Yeah. And he keeps going deeper and deeper just and deeper. Down. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And for me, my life, and for every person that I know, that one issue is identity. Like, who am I? And so we, you, you see people, when we're younger, you know, it manifests it and how we dress and how we wear our hair and yeah, yeah. What, what music we listen to and that kind of stuff. But those things never, I don't think they ever leave us. I think we're, we're desperate to know, like, who am I really? And so we either create an identity, which is what most people do, mm-hmm. so that I can be worth something, mm-hmm. or God reveals my identity and in the process reveals to me what I'm worth, yeah. uh, namely I'm worth, I'm worth dying for to him, right? And when, when that takes hold of somebody, it just brings freedom. And until that happens, I might be a beautiful person, but I'm in chains because yeah. Yeah. I don't know who I am. That's right. And, and I'm desperate for your attention or your affection or your approval. I don't know about you. It's one of the things that's always, um, I've always thought the thing that probably most annoyed the Pharisees about Jesus was he just didn't care what they thought of him. <laughs> that's true. I, he, I, I know who I am. He, yes. And he, your he opinion means nothing to me. That's right. That's huge. Right. Yeah. You know, like what a, what a grace to be able to live that way. Well, they were accustomed to defining the yeah. spiritual experience of the first century Palestinian Jews. Yeah. And Jesus comes along and says, no, you're placing burden on them that they can't carry. Yeah. You're standing in the way of them entering the kingdom. Yeah. In fact, you're a problem. You're, you're, you're not a help. You're a problem. Right. And he, he disabuses them of their self-importance. Yeah. And our culture is doing something similar to, to folks over and over again. Like, these are the, the contexts that we're establishing, telling you, this is how you will know you have worth. You look this way, 
you you speak this way, you've you, gone to these schools. You align with these people, you yeah. hold these political opinions. And if you don't, you have no value. Yeah. And so, again, this issue of identity. Yeah, those, those standards change, too. <laughs> That's one of the advantages of getting old, is that you remember opinions you once had and <laughs> how they were applauded by the mainstream of culture. And now those same opinions are regarded as passe <laughs> or hopelessly antiquated. Right. Um, and if you're basing your identity on, you know, what political group you're aligned with, with what, uh, you know, music you listen to, which is always a shock 25 years after. Right. You know, right. I, I liked that, didn't I? Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. Embarrassed to admit that. <laughs> yeah. Um, then you're always changing. It's always changing. You cannot satisfy yeah. that Cheshire cat out there that keeps disappearing on you. Yeah. I remember preaching uh, on a passage in the book of Revelation where it's stated, and St. Paul has a similar passage in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says um, that adulterers, um, swindlers, right. drunkards, etc., he goes on a whole list, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I remember saying, what has happened here is these people have ceased to be themselves, and they've taken on this communal identity. Uh, this is no longer Bob or Charlie hmm. or Guinevere. Hmm. This is adulterer. Hmm. You know? And I noticed in a piece that you wrote recently, you said the devil uh, knows our name hmm. but calls us by our sin. Hmm. And God, on the other hand, knows our sin but calls us by our name. Yeah. And it made me think of this passage so we lose our identity to become just a, a, a part of a gaggle of sinners, uh, people who no longer have the capacity to choose the good, the true, or the beautiful. That's at the end of time. Yeah, and I, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I think uh, of that passage in particular because Paul ends that passage by saying, and, and such were some of you. Very and, good. That's and, right. I, and I think it's Archbishop Burns, I remember him talking about this one time, saying, you know, I mean, the church in Corinth isn't that big, right? So Paul's, Paul's got people in mind. Yes. You know, yes. he was a he was struggled with homosexuality. You know, she was really envious. Um, they were involved in you know all sorts of weird things over here. That's who you were. It's not who you are, though. Right. And and right. to me, the one of the most uh, powerful effects of Jesus's death and resurrection is to understand um, God's version of a cancel culture because God's got one too. Except what God cancels is sin, not people. Yes. <laughs> and so, because there is. Again, this is my own experience personally, but then my own experience walking with people, most especially um, younger women. What happens, here's another spiral. What happens oftentimes is we make bad choices for whatever reason, usually because I want to be loved, accepted, welcomed when we're younger. And then the enemy pounces on that and says, you're damaged. It's, It's hopeless. You're done. And then what, what happens is people then start spiraling. Well, if, if I'm, so they start telling themselves lies. I, I'm damaged goods. Right. I don't fit in. I can't believe what I've done. Uh, I'm useless. I'm worthless. I'm never going to be loved. And they start making worse and worse and worse choices. And that's how so many people have, we've all done this to some degree or another, but so many people even now listening are stuck here. Yeah. And the Lord wants to know, that's not who you are. 
I, I can deliver you from that. I can heal you. you. You can accept my mercy, and you can begin again. That's so important. <laughs> Huge. What happens, one of the lies the devil tells you when you're burrowing down like that, he tells you that, look, you're 45 years old now. What do you think you've got left? That's right. You've been this way all this time. That's right. You know, what makes you think you're going to change? And if you do change, most of your life is shot already. Yep. Don't make the effort. Don't embarrass yourself. Yep. Uh, just, just write it out. You know, you, you, you can, you got enough money. You'll be fine. Or you'd um, be better off dead. Or you, and that's when it gets even smaller. And then it gets yeah. really dark. Yeah, that's when it, that, that, it gets... There's nowhere to go at that point. And into this, I mean, that's the idea behind the, the hand in the rescue project. Into this comes God's, like, immeasurably strong hand saying, you don't have to do anything. You just have to let me grab you. Like, I can pull you out of that place. Just let me, like a, a, a parent trying to pick up a child that's throwing a tantrum, just let me hold you. And tell you, like, that's not who you are. That's not how I see you. You're not stuck. Nobody's stuck. You know, I can do, I, I work my best stuff when it looks like it's hopeless. Yeah. And, and nobody is in a place right now that's hopeless. He can restore what you've lost. Exactly. That's so important for people to remember. You, you, maybe you, you can't imagine it, but he can take a life that's been squandered and in the years remaining, he can do tremendous things. Yeah. Uh, and I, I uh, it always bothers me when I hear people thinking that they've, sh- I've, yeah, I've shot my wad and I'm done. I can't, there's nothing I can do for the Lord. They might even be Christians, but they still think that, you know, I, I, I didn't get on the train early on, early right. on so right. now, you know, I, I just, uh, I cannot be effective. I I hate that. I mean, yep. just, I feel, I feel for them. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, if I can honor you, I, I, I've heard you share your story a number of times uh, with depression. Yeah. Um, I've shared my story a number of times about um, being abused. I, I, I just heard someone say the other day, both about uh, hearing your story and then someone who, who happened to hear mine saying, especially for men, it was so helpful to know, like, you battled that, and the Lord's able to <laughs> yeah. use you? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, someone similarly said, you know, I had no idea what you went through as a child, and the Lord's able to, I mean, I got a lot of issues. Yeah. I can't answer for you, but I got a lot of issues still. <laughs> but it's just hopeful for people to know God, God works with broken people. It, it's, believe me, I, when, I, back, when I was going through that depression, I, I, I did think it was over. Yeah. I thought that my whole, that I had made a terrible mistake in becoming a Christian, that I had believed a lie, that uh, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life now. I was in my 30s, for heaven's sakes, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought life was basically over. I had no idea that, in all, in all honesty, my best years were still ahead of me. Best years as a father, best years as a husband, best years as a minister of the gospel. Yep. And I, I you know, I actually I tell myself that today. I say, remember what he's done. And we don't emphasize enough that we do need to remember what he's done. Because even those of us who have stories, you know, that are uh, kind of big and show God's hand, 
we can get so caught up in what we're struggling with today mm-hmm. that we forget mm-hmm. what he already has accomplished. Mm-hmm. And biblically, this is a, a refrain from, from uh, the Exodus forward. Remember what yep. you saw. Remember what you heard. Yep. Remember God led you out of Egypt. Remember yep. what He said at Sinai, and in of course, in of course, at, at Mass, what are the key words? Right. In remembrance. In remembrance. And yeah. the scathing indictment in the Old Testament and the Psalms is, they forgot. They forgot. Father, hold it there. We'll come back and continue our conversation. Father John Ricardo, my guest. Our topic, well. Our identity as the covenant people of God, our identity as uh, men and women made in the image and likeness of God, our identity in Christ. This is a time in our own culture where everybody's talking about identity, political identities, ethnic identities. We need to get our identity straight, our identity in Christ Jesus. I'm Al Cresto. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father John Ricardo, Executive Director of Acts 29. In the first segment, we're talking about our identity in Christ and how that is formed through His grace uh, operating in areas of our lives in which we're suffering, in which we are indeed weak. And uh, it is always a great blessing if we're actually able to see afterwards what God was doing in our lives during those periods of weakness and suffering. And uh, we were talking about the the ancient Israelites who, uh, after 40 years in the wilderness, uh, Moses has to remind them of what God has done already. So we're going to pick up the conversation with Father John. So you think about the, the platform the Lord has given you and the countless numbers of people who hear you engage on a whole host of topics. You know, I hazard to guess if you had not gone through so many of the things that you had gone through, you would engage in those topics in a very different manner than you do now. And you would simply be one of many voices, whether it's in the world or in the church, which all sound alike. Uh, They have an edge. um, They stir up anxiety. They stir up anger. I wouldn't doubt that the Lord used uh, some of what you went through, I know he has in me, to one, keep me humble, um, two, to meek me uh, and just kind of harness me because there's a lot inside of me that can go haywire and I would imagine in you too and all those things and the graces that I experienced help me uh, you know it's Augustine's line I think Lord if I'm too merciful sometimes in how I talk it's because that's how you've taught me that's how you were with me Yeah, so I can be clear please God Uh, you can be clear we can be direct Um, we can speak honestly we can speak frankly Um, but again please God Always in charity. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm not. I'm, I'm not yoked to him. I don't know if I've told you this story before. The, the year before I went through this depression started, went on for three years. Um, but the year before that happened, I was managing a chain of bookstores, ten bookstores. We had to go through a corporate identity change, so I'd never done anything like that before. So I was working hard, trying to make sure we had the right logo, hmm. all the bags are stamped properly, and mm-hmm. all the interior of the stores had to be designed a certain way. So I was involved in all of that. And I had an administrative assistant who was really quite good. You know, she, she, she could also be a little clingy at times and needy. One day I noticed she was really not right. She just wasn't herself at all. And so I said, well, you know, go home. I think I talked to her later that night. And yeah. She said she was, you know, she was feeling depressed. And 
Now at that time, I didn't, I, I basically thought depression was just like the Monday morning blues or something. Right. You just kind of urge yourself to get out of it. Yep. So the next morning, I'm embarrassed to say this, but the next morning I went into the office and she was laying on the floor of, of my office. And I thought, I stepped over her, sat down at my desk, and said, when you want to talk, get up. It's terrible, I know. <laughs> um, she finally gets up, she looks haggard. She begins explaining what's going on with her, take her home again. Later that night, she tried suicide. <laughs> my a member of my staff told me about it and urged me to go visit her in the hospital. And I said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to reward her attention-seeking behavior. <laughs> wow. That's bad. A year later, I was brought low. And by being brought low like that, it completely shattered my sense of how strong I was, yep. you know, how right I was. Um, there's simply no way I could have gone on to do the work that I've done since, the ministerial work uh, as a pastor, and then the years I've spent on air trying to understand um, what God is doing mm. in our day, you know. Um, and, I, and I often point out to people, too, that I do feel especially blessed in that I, I see a direct connection mm. between the discipline. That I, I see that, I was in my mind, this was... God disciplining me. Mm-hmm. Not punishing, disciplining. Right, yeah. Yep. He, he was disciplining me for service. Yeah. Uh, and I actually am able to see a direct connection yeah. between what I went on to do and my capacity to listen to people, to empathize with where they're at. That could never have happened without that experience. I, I, always, I do say, you know, did it really take that much work on? <laughs> did, did, did I have to go through all of that? But, you know... The fact that I've been able to see such fruit from it, mm. I'm grateful. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. And yeah, well, uh, so Lewis says, right, we don't need to get tweaked. Um, we need a, a major overhaul. <laughs> right, right. You know, so uh, <laughs> your your overhaul looked like that. You know, mine's looking like whatever it's looking like. And But, I, again, I just want to honor you because so you telling both those stories. So that story of that woman, which is not in any way a glory story, right? I mean, so this isn't, yeah, like, well, let me tell you about my conver- you know, my, yeah. my conversion. I, I yeah. was doing this yeah, and this and this, and it sounds like, a gl- like I'm reveling in my yeah. sin. This is not a glory story. This is a really ugly incident, but you're telling it, in addition to sharing your past, what I love so much, and this is at the heart of so much of what we're trying to share with, whether it's church people, ordained or, or lay leaders, vulnerability attracts. Yeah. Right? I mean, so, especially in leadership, yeah. like vulnerability attracts. I think we're afraid it's going to repel. Yeah. But you share a story like that, and someone goes, huh, he can probably identify with me then. Because yeah. I've done some really ugly things that I'm not proud of, and I've battled darkness. Yeah. And so you get it. And so you're not going to condemn me. Right. You're going to hear me. That's everything. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what we need in leadership. And I think that when, when we do that, there are people who will be able to respond to that that generally can't respond to some of the more traditional ways of 
uh, exhorting. Exhorting, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's. I'm. I'm always interested in the people. I'm always interested in trying to reach people who don't. Who don't respond real easily. I'm interested to the person who won't go to the Billy Graham crusade. Right. Know, that right. kind of thing. Yep. It's not that I think what Billy Graham did was wrong. Yeah. It's that that kind of stuff didn't work for me. And so why should I try to imitate a, a practice that I didn't find effective? So I, I want to share what... Yep. Because I think that's what eternity is about, too. God is taking each of us and making us saints. We, we say we want to imitate Christ, but in imitating Christ, we become more of who we were created to, to be. be. And that's why the saints are such strange, a strange collection of people. Yeah. I mean, you think of St. Jerome and Teresa Fliso. You know, what do they... What, what they have in common. Yeah, mm-hmm. personality-wise. Yep. So Padre different. Pio. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, um, Father Solanus Casey. I mean, they're oh, probably, yeah. you know... Yeah. So you, you're talking about this. It makes me think of um, I've, I've had probably three letters in my life that I've, as a priest, that I've really deeply appreciated. And uh, they were all really painful. And one of them was probably, it was about the time you and I first started doing something together. At uh, We were at Divine Child. It was you, Steve Ray. We just saw this picture recently. It was you, Steve Ray, and, <laughs> right. and uh, Patrick Pat Madrid. Madrid was there, too, for that. Yeah, You guys were all a lot younger. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, a, a gentleman wrote me there. I'd probably been, like I say, a year, year and a half ordained. And uh, I knew him, knew his wife. And the, the letter said something like, you make faith sound like a Nike commercial. Just do it. And he went on to say, and it was a long letter. Wow. And uh, he said, do you have any idea? It was kind of ironic because he worked in the auto industry. He says, do you have any idea what it's like to work in the auto industry and have a, you know, <laughs> kind of like a senior position and try to balance work, family, faith? And I went, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, <laughs> Your dad? Yeah. So Chrysler one time. But he, he went on to talk about, do you know what it's like to be there and to struggle? And it was... It, it probably, very early on as a priest, uh, forever changed the way I would preach. So that, It was the best thing I could have gotten. So it did. You, you received that. Totally. I, I was angry as I'll get out at first. Yeah. I thought, who the heck are you? And it, what, what do you mean? Do I know what it's like to try to balance all that? Of course I do. You know, I, do you know who I am? Like, do you, talk about arrogance. Right? Do you know who I am? Don't you know where I grew up? <laughs> right. And, but it, it forever made me be mindful of... I want to talk to the person who's here who's afraid this he can't be talking to me. Right. I'm I'm right. I'm beyond that. I can't I, I'm not reachable. I'm never gonna be good enough, I'm never gonna measure up. That's who I wanna to talk to as well. I wanna I wanna find that man or that woman and let him know I don't care what you've struggled with, what you're struggling with, what's in the past, what's in your present, what may be coming up, I don't care. Neither is God. Like God's God and He's got you. Yeah. And your past doesn't doesn't disqualify you, right. and your present doesn't disqualify you. That's right. Um, yeah. That's that's the beauty. That's the hand again coming in to reach into your life. So, but again, it was a painful, uh, painful moment. And you actually were familiar with this person, huh? Yeah, I knew his wife better than I knew him. Um, she was in a Bible study that I was leading, but kind it of gutsy letter. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> I give so I give me more credit. I mean, it was like a five-page letter. I might even still have it. Twenty. Six years oh. later, but uh, it was that indelible that it, it happened that long ago, 
and I have never forgotten it, and I'll be forever grateful. Yeah. Like, I needed to hear that. That's amazing. That's, yeah, that's, those are, those are, uh, those those kind of words are hard to hear, hmm. especially you're starting out. You're just starting out. Yep. As a priest, you're just ordained what, a year, year and a half. Yep. Yeah. And the enemy could have used it to just say, stop peaking strong. Right. And instead what the Lord did was, let me meek you. Go into that a little bit more because, I mean, it's funny. I don't remember. I remember we knew each other then. We, we were at this event together. I don't remember having that impression of you at the time. So I'm curious to know. How did you change as a result of that letter? What did you do differently? I think tone. Okay. A tone, and, and I would always... So a couple things. Uh, one was tone. One was I, I, I try to never say you. Oh. Um, I'm always mindful of Daniel's prayer of repentance. We, Lord, yes, have sinned. Can. Gotcha. It's not you people. Yeah. I don't, yeah. So in other words, I don't want to preach at you. Yeah. I want I want to reflect on God's word with you. Yeah. And if I'm being, I don't know about you when you were preaching when you were pastoring, I'm I'm more or less letting people into how God's talking to me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is what I, He's saying to me in His word. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, and I'm going to basically let you in on it. You know, unless I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us as a family, of which I'm a part. Yeah. Even if I'm the father spiritually, but. So whatever I'm going to say, it's addressed to me first, not me talking to you. But I don't know if I was always as attentive to that as I should have been early on. So I I try never to say you, always we, always us. um, And uh, and maybe always try to find some way to um, appropriately make known my own scars. Yeah. Like I want you to know I don't think I'm all that. Well, they're hold it there. We're going to continue that conversation on the other side of the break. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Father John Ricardo, Executive Director of Acts 29. We've been talking about our identity in Christ, and in particular, uh, we're discussing uh, Jesus' leadership and how he is leader through being a servant and how he demonstrates his strength through weakness and suffering. Let's pick up the conversation. It's so funny, because when I was younger, had a number of sales jobs, you're always trying to present perfection. You're trying to show that you're utterly trustworthy. Uh, All these things are good, reliable, and you shy away from anything that might hint that you're not the leader or the manager or the salesman that you ought to be. And I think that, co- I think that, I, well, actually, I know that some of those principles have been used in seminaries, too, at least in Protestant circles. Catholic, too. Catholic circles, too, yeah. So I, I, I do think it's, the le- Jesus' leadership is different. He's certainly strong. Yep. But his, I've, one thing I noticed, that his toughest language is always for those in presumed positions of power and authority. Mm-hmm. That he always kind of, he might dials it down when he's dealing with an individual whose sin is quite apparent mm-hmm. to him and to the gospel writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't mean he isn't strong. Uh, think of the woman at the well. Right. You know, there's one of my favorite, pa- favorite passages of scripture showing Jesus. First thing he asks, 
first thing he says is, do you have water? I'm, you know, do something for me mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I need. I need. Right. Jesus is saying, I need. Right. And that leads to just one of the greatest stories uh, in the history of the human race. That that's that's a fantastic. Even on, even if even if we didn't believe it was historical, yeah. it would be a great story. Right. You know. Yeah. We we have a huge frame print. One of my favorite paintings is uh, Caravaggio's um, uh, encounter of Thomas and Jesus. And uh, I think uh, Dr. Bob Schutz in the JP Two Healing Center they use this often as well. But you know, here's the Lord. You know, he's like lifting up his shirt. I mean, so he's literally exposed, yeah. right? And yeah. he's just taking Thomas's finger and saying, like, here's the wound. Yeah. Like, that's the model of vulnerability. There's no doubt Jesus is Lord at this point. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm back from the dead. <laughs> right, right. But he's, he's not hesitating to show his wounds. I, I think that's a huge part of leadership is being able to be strong and yet be vulnerable right. and able to be wounded. Like making it known, I am able to be wounded. Yeah. We, we, we have a, one of our, uh, we call it an apostolic value, not a core value, but in our work uh, amongst our team is just being authentically human. And part of what that means is it, it, you have permission to be real. Yeah. yeah. Like it's okay not to be okay. Right. And, and if you're not doing well right now, we don't have anything else to do. Your well-being matters more than the work because this is the work. This is the work. Because yes. relationships are at the heart of everything we're trying to do. And, and I don't know what your experience is, but, you know, over the last three and a half years especially, just kind of seeing the various things going on in the church in different places, if there's a fundamental problem with the church right now, this will sound maybe a bit bold to some people, I, I just don't think we know what it means to be human. Yeah. Like we need to learn how to be human again. So much in the church is functional. So much of it is transactional. Um, and, and the Lord is, it, it's that great line in God in Spes, uh, Jesus doesn't just reveal the Father to me. Yeah. Jesus reveals humanity to me. That's right. He teaches me what it means to be a man. Yeah. Uh, not just a revelation of God, but this is what authentic humanity looks like. How to play, how to work, how to eat, how to rest, yeah. uh, how to serve, how to pr- everything. And... Um, you know, John Paul used to quote over and over again, probably because he wrote it. Um, you know, it's only in the light of uh, the incarnate word that the mystery of man becomes clear. That's right. That's right. That, 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 is, that has been such a significant passage for me, uh, probably over the last 25 years. Like, I find myself over and over again just saying, Jesus, I, I have no idea how to be human right now. Like, I don't know what, to, what it means to be a man. I don't know how to work. You know, I'm up at night. <laughs> you're, you're not. Yeah. You're saving the world. I'm saving nothing. <laughs> like, you're sleeping soundly. <laughs> Here I am, like, like, agitated and whatever. Like, teach me. Like, how did you do this? Like, yeah. how, how do I do it now? You're, you're in me. How do I do this? Yes. Like, teach me to trust the Father the way you trust the Father. Teach me to surrender the way you surrendered. Um, enable me. Don't just teach me. Enable me to do that. That's why your spirit's in me. So, um, this is a huge, uh, I, I know the, the whole 60th anniversary of the, the council, but this is a huge piece that I think is yet to be unmined by us in the church. It's true. People still have the idea that uh, Christians, church-going people, go there because they have 
they think they have some higher uh, moral status. Yeah. You know, I, I had my brother Michael, before his death, um, I was trying to urge him, you know, to return to the Catholic Church. Or actually, I would have been satisfied if he was going anywhere. Right. But, um, and, and he said, and uh, he, he died shortly after, uh, he said to me, Look, I'm I'm just not good enough. You know, and I obviously to me that's the bells go off, right? You know, it, but I I was I was unable to penetrate that. Um, I mean, he Michael thought that the gospel was about God sitting on the side of the riverbank as you're there, you know, be, some, doing something between drowning and swimming. Yeah, and and God's on the fruit bank saying, "Hey, try harder. Right? Yeah, right. try harder. Come right. on, you can do it. You can do it." Right. He didn't understand that the gospel is about God in the water with you, right? Coming alongside you, uh, strengthening you, helping you move forward, wanting you to win. You, yeah, yeah. And I and I think, and I don't know how that. I don't know what how that would change. I mean, obviously, it has to change with leadership, right? Leadership has to be able to demonstrate that vulnerability and that humanity. Yep. Um, and then... So preaching's one way. Yeah, preaching's one way. way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I think how we model uh, leadership to one another when we're with, uh, you know, other, especially other entities where we know people involved here are Christian, just just being attentive to the fact, we call it, I don't know, what, what you do here uh, when you're out in public with different pro, uh, folks from Ave Maria, but uh, we, we call it something like a very um, implicit sub-curriculum. We don't want to just share the gospel with you. We want to try to, to share with you how to implicitly be. how to be. How to be. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> exactly. Know. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually what makes the deeper impression on some people. It's like, we just watched you. We, we were out someplace. We were doing some work in a diocese, and we kind of spent all day with this uh, uh, archbishop and his his uh, key leaders, and uh, we went out to dinner that night, and we didn't realize this was uh, kind of in the height of COVID, so we're eating under a tent outside. At, we didn't realize the people we were kind of ministering to that day were in the tent. And at the end of the meal, one of the guys walked up, and he says, uh, you know, I said, hi, and, you know, we're here too. And he said, we've been watching you guys all night long, and we can't fathom doing what we're watching. Like, we, we saw you... There were four or five of us just, you know, ministering to us all day, pouring out. And then here you are at the table, and you're just laughing and having fun and clearly uh, talking about the Lord and just talking life. <laughs> and we get done with work, and we want to get away from each other. Yeah, right, right. Like, and, and just begged, like, you're going to teach us how to live that way, right? Because that's what we need. That, that's what we want. We, we want to learn how to do life together so that as we serve the Lord— we can do this in an ever more human way. You know this. I mean, once you've tasted family, yeah. uh, the body of Christ doing ministry together, with all the ups and downs and all the challenges that come, to be sure, that's why you have to have permission to be real, you'll never do it another way. Right, right. Never do it another way. Right. Yeah. And God wants that to happen in every context, in families and marriages and in Christian apostolates and parishes and dioceses. Like, this is real. This can happen if we just be cognizant of the fact that God's in the water with us and he wants to pick us up and he wants to help us and yeah. stop struggling doing it on our own and stop settling. 
Yeah, uh, stop settling. In other words, you think people should be aware that they are dissatisfied. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think they are. Better. I don't, I don't know about, well, you know this because uh, you, you have friends who are married. Um, <laughs> and what, what happens oftentimes, right, in relationships is you go, wow, I don't like where we are, but it's going to take so much work to get beyond this. We're just going to I can do this. Yeah. It's not thriving, but I can do this. And I think that's where lots of, whether it's marriages, families, yeah. apostolates, parishes, we just settle. We do that with our lives. You were talking about this earlier. Like, it's just going to be too hard. Just, just coast it in. Right. And God's always calling us more, not, not out of like, come on, there's more in you. Right. But th- there's that hunger in me. I, I've, I've been so taken uh, of late by um, just the virtue of magnanimity. Yeah. And to me as a man anyway, because I can't answer for a woman, I have no idea how a woman thinks. Um, but as a man, like, I so want to be great. Yeah. And we just have to redefine greatness. What does it really look like? Yeah. But there's something in all of us as men and women that, that's just... Like, God made me for greatness, and there's nothing wrong with that. If I'm doing it for my own glory, then there's something wrong with it. But I'm doing it for Him. And so to to, to get to that point where you recognize I'm not satisfied with where I am personally, with where I am spiritually, with where I am in this relationship, with the work, whatever it might be, and to recognize, well, that's a gift. God's making me aware of that because He's saying you don't have to be there. Divine discontent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we shouldn't we shouldn't just uh, ignore that. You mentioned in in marriages, and that I immediately think of myself and Sally. And we got married in 1977, and I think you know most people looking at our life would say, "Yeah, good marriage." And true, we have. But I'm still working on it. Right. I mean, (laughs) I still find that I'm not as attentive to her desires as I need to be. I'm involved with my own projects. I've got a very active mind and imagination, and I have to just say, what are you doing here? Are you pursuing curiosity, or are you actually serving someone? That's one of the reasons we became a a lay Dominican, because they they managed to keep intellectual activity focused on service. So I thought, that's what I want to be. That also means, then, that I, I have to lay down yeah. the book or shut off the, you know, the audible.com in order to just spend time. Because she's going over here like, hello. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's got a great garden she's working in, yeah. you know, and she's got her things. So she's, yep. But it, I do think that's important because I learned a long time ago, I don't know who said it. I didn't say it, but and that is, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. And, and I think that's still uh, true. And so marriages, if, yeah. you're not, if you think your marriage isn't resembling, yeah. I mean, I don't see how any Christian man can think that they're, they're utterly satisfied in their marriage if they think of themselves as Christ loving the church, right? I mean, because who measures up to that? Right. And that's not to be something to discourage us. It's, it's meant to call us to experience a love that very few people experience. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, but I, that divine discontent, I agree with you. That you, Don't don't ignore it. Right. It's a tremendous gift. Yeah. yeah. Life can it's be God's better. stirring things up. Yeah. 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 Thankfully, he, he doesn't do that constantly. But, uh, <laughs> right. Yes. But he does it, right? And when he does it, you want to pay attention. Yeah. 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 That concludes our first half 
of the conversation with Father John Ricardo. We pick up the second half, continuing to talk about our identity in Christ, what it means to follow Jesus into serving the world. <laughs> 